Hello, Luke here from Tmudwup, and I've been at the Oxford Literary Festival today in a setting not unlike that of The Greatest Show in the Galaxy to hear a panel of Doctor Who writers talking about their latest books, and I had a chance, as a member of the DWPA, to interview them afterwards. I do apologise for um, the sound quality on this, um, the omnidirectional nature of the mic, whilst picking up all the authors did mean that there's various background noises that you can hear, and also see if you can spot the point where we had to stop the recording for the 12 o'clock chimes. Enjoy! Hello, this is uh, Luke Harrison from Smugwork uh, on behalf of the Doctor Who Podcasting Alliance, and I'm here in Oxford where I live for the uh, Oxford Literary Festival. And we just had a, a panel this morning with four writers of the new Doctor Who book range. Um, if you could just introduce yourselves and, and tell us the name of your book. I'm Colin Brake, I've written The Good, The Bad and The Alien. I'm Ollie Smith, and I wrote System White. I'm Trevor Baxendale, I wrote Heart of Stone. And I'm Justin Richards, and I'm the flip side of Heart and Stone, I wrote Death Riders. Now, I, I, I'll start by being quite honest with you guys. Um, I, I, like Ollie, grew up in the, in the wilderness years, so my Doctor Who, the money that I had to spend on Doctor Who when I was a kid was, was all on Target books and, uh, and videos, so I never really got into the kind of uh, extra-canonical kind of side of... Of, of who with the book, so I'm kind of a novice to this this whole area. Um, so let me just kind of start by asking you: How did each of you get into writing Doctor Who books in the first place, and how long have you been have you been doing it? I've been doing it forever mm-hmm. since the universe was a younger and happier place, and um, I got into. I was I was a writer anyway. I wrote uh, I wrote all sorts of articles and things for Doctor Who magazine and places like that and a bit of other sort of journalism and things. And I worked for a while as a technical writer uh, at IBM, writing user guides and on-screen help, and um, moved from that into design and other things as well. And at the time, Virgin Books were publishing original Doctor Who fiction, and you could send in a proposal and they'd sort of laugh at you and maybe ask you to rewrite it or something if, if they thought it had some potential. So I thought, well, I'll have a go at that. Um, so I, I think I was probably suffering withdrawal symptoms from moving on from doing pure technical writing to managing other people who were doing the writing. And I thought, well, I want to get my writing fixed. So I sent them in a proposal for something called Theatre of War, which they liked and they got me to write the book. And that was in 1996 and the book came out in, no, I'm telling absolute rubbish. That was in 1993 and the book came out in 1994. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Getting on for 20 years. Oh, don't tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor? Um, well, I, I love writing to entertain myself and thinking up stories, and I love Doctor Who, so when Virgin, as uh, Justin was saying, was producing original fiction, it seemed like a great chance to combine the two, and I, I did send in some ideas, which I got some really encouraging re- replies back so encouraging that I tried sending in more ideas but the replies that came back got less and less encouraging um, and I sort of I fell out of love a little bit with those books I, I didn't think they were giving me the sort of Doctor Who that I really enjoyed the most so when the license went back to BBC books and they were sort of starting fresh with Paul McGann Doctor I said right I'll try again now and I was lucky enough to uh, to impress the then commissioning editor Steve Cole 
and that was in 1998 when my first book came out to James Cook Junction great Ollie okay well um, yeah well I kind of stopped writing as part of my education when I was about 16 so moving then on to just kind of sciences stuff I needed that writing fix I think like Justin said um, so I started writing and drawing my own comics especially during my gap year because I was just working a 9 to 5 admin job to pay for uni and decided I didn't really want to do that for the rest of my life so I started writing and drawing my own comics and getting them printed up and taking them to comic conventions around the country and they're quite well received and luckily I got to meet Doctor Who magazine a couple of times at a, a couple of events and we got chatting and they um, they liked my comics which were, were not even sci-fi but but they knew I was a big fan and uh, they asked me to pitch a couple of ideas and they didn't really go anywhere and but eventually the storybook came around and they asked me to, to pitch and I pitched and I, I wrote up a short story quite far in advance just in case I couldn't write prose but luckily they liked it and then I got a gig on the BBC website and uh, Justin kindly enough read it and I got to the chance to pitch for a couple of other things so yeah so then that ended up in my first novel being Nuclear Time last year. Great. Uh, I was a script editor and a writer at the BBC. I was working on EastEnders, I was a writer on EastEnders and I moved on from EastEnders to work on Bugs, the Saturday night um, action show in the mid-90s. And around that time uh, I've been involved in Doctor Who fandom for many years and uh, Justin and his colleague Andy Lane asked me to contribute to one of the short story collections, Decalogue 3. Yeah. That would have been about 94, 95? Yeah, yeah. you and Stephen Moffat were two people we took a chance on. Oh, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Good company. <laughs> so um, that was, uh, that was my first uh, prose work. I'd, I'd written episodes of Doctor Who and, and was probably writing episodes of Bugs by then. Uh, but that was my first prose work. Um, that led on to writing a couple of Eighth Doctor books for BBC Books and it's carried on since then. Great. Now I guess, um, apart from you Ollie, when the three of you started writing, um, Doctor was off the air, um, the fans were largely male and largely adults and you were writing for um, that kind of audience, that, that fan audience. How have you found the, the transition between that and now you're writing for an audience that is, is young, mixed, um, and, and used to the, the, the current TV show? I, th I think the biggest difference is, is fitting in with someone else's uh, concept of Doctor Who with the, with the Virgin Books and the BBC Books that was, that, that there was a sort of a, a brand image and certainly when I was editing them I had a, a clear vision of, of how Doctor Who should be but there was a lot more leeway within that for authors to tell their own stories and, and do their own take on Doctor Who and that's that's been reined in, but as far as the stories themselves, I mean, th th there are some of the new adventures and the and the old BBC books, fewer of the BBC ones, that you wouldn't you wouldn't publish now because they don't fit the brand image. They're pitched slightly wrongly, or they're too adult in some way, or whatever. But for the most part, certainly the books I've written, um, I think. I was always writing Doctor Who as it should be on the telly, as a book. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't experiment as much as some of the writers um, and making it more uh, sophisticated with a small S, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I, haven't, 
I haven't changed at all. I'm, <laughs> um, I'm sure I have, but uh, but it's yeah. it's something that's there, but it's not something that's that's a constraint. I don't think, not for me anyway. Also, I think that f- for us, probably for too, because you went back to to read those Target books too. Our notion of of Doctor Who fiction is very much firmly embedded in those early Target books. Mm. Mm. The Target books were, were great. Those very first ones, ones that were about to be republished, were <laughs> were very were, were extended versions of the of the TV show. I mean, we had a whole range, bless him, Terence Dixie, to knock out quite precise, um, well, transcripts almost mm-hmm. of, of programs. And then towards the end of the race, they began to get uh, more extended again. And those books, those extended versions of what you saw on the telly, were very attractive. And I think when you come to write a story now, you're, those are sort of in your head. Mm-hmm. So you've got a sort of TV adventure but with more detail more character stuff a little bit more flesh on it mm-hmm. and I think that's for me connects right from those target books you know, those pre-target books from the 60s yeah. to these sort of things we're doing now mm. I think I think we're on a wavelength we, we, we were trying to tell a Doctor Who story that you would see albeit in a very different form uh, at 7 o'clock on a Saturday evening mm-hmm. in book form right. as opposed to some of those virgin books which were Doctor Who is we'd like to do it if it was going to be on at 10 o'clock off opposite Buffy yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's quite quite a different yeah. Doctor Who yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where I struggled with some of the virgin books or later yeah. ones where you'd have uh, like a 90,000 word novel of which the Doctor appeared in it for about 5 pages at the end or something and I couldn't get on with that at all. Mm-hmm. So, like, just in the books that I write, I don't actually find any different writing mm-hmm. for them now, except that it's a slightly less word count, right. which is good. Okay. But apart from that, I mean, I think a lot of my books have been criticised for being very traditionalist, but that's right. because, like, just in I sort of write yeah. a book, mm-hmm. a Doctor Who story, as I'd have enjoyed mm-hmm. on the TV. Take it. That's a compliment, not a criticism. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how yeah. I take <laughs> it. Yeah. Very much. As I say, I haven't really <coughs> delved into this this world of Doctor Who books, but I I I do remember reading reviews. And, and up, upcoming stuff in Doctor Who magazine. I seem to remember your books in particular were they were talked about in terms of being quite high on the horror content. Is is that would you see that as a reflection? That's toned down a bit now, okay. yeah, because yeah. I'm not writing for adults yeah. or young adults, um, but not too much. No. But the, the, the way we turn them down is not is not that these things don't happen. It's not that people don't eat wasps anymore no. in, in Trevor's books it's, yeah. it's how you describe yeah. the process of, yes. of, of eating a wasp if you want to <laughs> put it in those terms and the, uh, the, the yes the level of detail you can go to yes I mean, yeah. I, I mean there's the, the Virgin books were terrific in their way but they were for a niche audience and Doctor Who's been given back to everyone it's now more yeah. popular than it's mm-hmm. ever been we've got a whole new set of generations of, of young people getting into Doctor Who so it's gone back yeah. to being a mass Mm-hmm. market mass audience thing mm-hmm. and th- those Virgin books were very much targeted at a very particular niche readership mm-hmm. who had watched Doctor Who who were now adult and had a particular uh, taste mm-hmm. so they were fine for their time and mm-hmm. for what they did but we're now in a time when Doctor Who is on television again mm-hmm. is getting huge ratings is watched by millions and millions of people and so the, the books have had to adapt to, mm-hmm. to, to that reality mm-hmm. Did you read them? Virgin books, Ollie. Yes, I did. I, I read quite a few. I think what's um, interesting is that I've never felt constrained by New Who. I, I've really enjoyed the BBC books and, and the Virgin books and, and things like uh, Lance Parkin um, and Vampire Science. is just, mm-hmm. you know, it's a really cracking novel, mm-hmm. let alone a Doctor Who novel. Um, 
but I've never what I was really surprised at coming into to New Who was I expected to, to be reined in a lot more but I think uh, I've really appreciated the kind of trust mm-hmm. that, that you can tell the story appropriately mm-hmm. and if you're kind of confident enough in your idea you they let you do your idea and um, yeah it was I, I found a lot more creative freedom than I actually expected going in uh, especially with my first short story not having any aliens in it and being mm-hmm. about a propaganda stunt mm-hmm. But a lot of the difference, I think, is a lot of the things that we do pick up on are at the detail level. It's not the story that you want to tell. It's, yeah. it's the vocabulary as much as anything. We're not going to have I think you have too to much turn down a bit of violence. And things. Yeah, oh, yes, that's and, right. and a lot of goddamns got taken yeah. out of nuclear time. <laughs> we don't have <laughs> profanity and we don't have naughty words. And, and you know there are things that happen in real life that we, we just don't allude to, even yeah. though mm. they're, they're happening. Yeah. But it doesn't... It's like on the TV, it doesn't constrain you mm. in telling a, a good story and telling it well. So, so as an editor, do you, do you find that that process is, is, is very much the same now as well? It's just you're asking your writers to take I, a different thing? I, it probably is, because I, I think as, a, as an editor, I was probably a bit prudish anyway. Uh, <laughs> there, there are some things in the, in the Virgin books which I, as, a, as an editor anyway, um, w- would not have let go through. Um, just because I don't believe they have a place in fiction of that type mm-hmm. uh, that could, even if it's not aimed at, could be read by people of a particular age or outlook or, or yeah. whatever. Um, so it hasn't hasn't changed an awful lot moving to to the current situation, other than me thinking, right, told you so, I was right. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the the area that we do tone down, I mean, there are some some weird things that you have to look out for, like like the doctor doesn't have a drink. I mean, he doesn't touch alcohol, and and probably it's best if his companions don't either. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas on telly they might easily have a glass of wine yeah. or something, and and in you know my book Grave Matter, the doctor knocks back six pints of old something or other on, in the in the local pub while he's trying to get information and, mm-hmm. and whatever. Well, so there's, there's weird things like that that you that you steer clear of, but they're not they're not going to change your story. Mm-hmm. It's just you know Martha has a mineral water instead of a white wine. Right. So yeah. Who cares? You yeah. Know? <laughs> Gary Russell was saying in a in a previous interview that um, the biggest difference was the length and actually it's, it's much easier to make a story that feels like a Doctor Who story with the new length than with and actually Doctor Who is very much, mm. especially the new series, very much a short story anthology. I, mm-hmm. I love writing the audiobooks uh, the most because they are that, essentially the same running time as an episode mm. and it, you could, it's very easy to make that feel like Doctor Who but even with the novels here, yeah. you're kind of, Padding things because Doctor Who paints in very broad strokes most of the time, and actually, uh, with the books, you you kind of have to get a bit more specific and and, and go more yeah. detail in the world building and stuff. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine having to write a hundred twenty thousand word novel yeah. uh, and how to make that feel like Doctor Who because that's the biggest many, Doctor Who was about about eighty eighty five. Oh right, yeah, but <laughs> books were some, some, yeah, yeah. supposed to be between seventy five and eighty five thousand. And how many episodes is but, that equivalent? To but what yeah. we've uh, but what we've pruned out from that is not the story. You're right. It's the the violence. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the, it's the more almost the more self indulgent stuff. Yeah. All the all the baggage that goes with that. And what yeah. we've got the same story, but but that much punchier and and quite possibly more interesting for the readership that we now have as a result. Yeah. Now, some of you have written, you've written for audio, yeah. have you, and you've written... I've written audio, audio books. books. Has not either of you written for audio? I've written for Big Finish. Audio, yeah. big so you, you, okay, so you've all done audio stuff. What's it, what's it like, uh, is the process different, and then what is it like having 
actors uh, that you've kind of watched on telly kind of in your childhood acting your material well it's, it's cool <laughs> can't, it's cannot, cannot deny that uh, I did a, a Fifth Doctor and, and Perry uh, Big Finish yeah. and it was extremely exciting that Peter Davison and Nicola Wright were going to be re- doing performing your material mm-hmm. that's cool I mean I'm, I'm kind of lucky because I've, I've worked in television for a long time so I'm used to working with actors mm-hmm. and you know, I have worked with quite a few well known actors and people who are in EastEnders as well um, <laughs> and, um, so I'm not phased by actors and, and, and act, you know, actors are actors they're, mm-hmm. it's, there's no, nothing weird about working with actors mm-hmm. when I approach an audio like I'd approach a, a script you've got mm-hmm. to find the, the voice for the actor make sure that you've got to make sure the lines are sayable mm-hmm. um, because actors do like an easy life, mm-hmm. but uh, it's not different to anything else, really. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a mindset you have to get into as well for audio, in that, I mean, it sounds obvious, but the audience can't see what's going on, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to you have to find ways of explaining what's going on without having people say, oh, look, over there, you see that man just climbing the stairs, mm-hmm. wearing the red cardigan, and, <laughs> and all that. Yeah. And So it's, it's a challenge, and it's interesting to get around that and, and, and express the action in terms of, of dialogue, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I like about audio is it's so quick. You don't have to worry about all that description stuff, which I love doing, but yes. it's quite refreshing just to just to bang out some dialogue. Oh, I've done 10 minutes already. Mm-hmm. Yes. The first thing I did for Big Finish was Whispers of Terror, which was like the third one they ever did. Mm. And I hadn't got a clue how long it was going to be. So I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll write the first episode and then I'll read it out loud and time myself. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the first episode and I read it out loud, timing myself, and it was supposed to be 25 minutes. When I got to 48 minutes and I wasn't halfway through yet, I thought, okay, I think I'm approaching this slightly wrong. Yeah. I, I need a complete mindset yeah. change here. To, so you have to tell a story, you have to be very concise. Yeah. Uh, every word really does count and every word will be heard. Yes. Whereas in a book, people skim through it. They, yeah. they might think they read every word, but they don't. Yeah. Um, uh, on audio, and somebody's got to say it and, mm. and people are going to hear it. And it's, yeah. uh, it does focus focus the attention much more mm-hmm. my what, yeah what I did find with audio is because it's more of a collaborative effort with your book that's that's your book and apart from the improvements that a good editor like Justin makes mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're reliant on a lot of other things first of all the, the, the actors mm-hmm. saying the lines the way that you sort of envisage or want them said and sometimes that can be a, yeah, that's not how I meant that line to be read but you take it on the chin and sometimes they come back and they say a line and you think what a brilliant way to say that and that's never in a million years occurred to me that that scene could play out like that Mm -hmm. that's not how I envisaged it but actually what they've done with it is much better so that sort of swings and roundabouts there but you are reliant on the director and the sound design Mm -hmm. and um, stuff like that so sometimes it can work really well and sometimes I think the script can be a bit let down Mm -hmm. and that's frustrating (laughs) has that happened to you no, <laughs> I'm not naming names. No, 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 no obviously not. No. Well, it's true of any any collaborative process. Yeah. When you've got, you've got actors, you've got directors, you've got producers, you've got sound people. As soon as it's, it's collaborative, you're going to have things that disappoint you and things that surprise yeah. you. It's Whereas true. if you're writing your book, you do get input from an editor, but essentially it is your yeah. piece of writing. So as soon as you're doing something that's, that's boring you're going to have to cope you've yeah. got complete control over a certain yeah. scene well, exactly yeah. how someone says it or what someone says or the, or the beat of that scene yeah. is controlled by you in the book yeah. I think with a the script there's other fingers in the yeah. much harder I mean the, the, the best one of the best writers of TV I know is Stephen Gallagher 
whose scripts are almost director-proof because he writes them very cleverly so that you can't screw it up. Uh, he's to, he wrote a number of the, the best Bugs episodes. And they were brilliant pieces of writing because it was very hard for the director to, to blow it. Mm -hmm. But it was a, it's an amazing skill. It's not easy to do. What about his Doctor Who work? Oh, I love his Doctor Who work. I really enjoy the sense of removal, actually. That yeah. The fact that there is that one person between it. I cannot read any of my books after they've been published because I, I cringe at every line, every page, because I, there's always tweaks that, that you want to do. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, when Matt Smith's reading The Runaway Train, I can, I can go, oh yes, no, that was a really nice bit of description because it really flowed well, that particular mm -hmm. scene. Or, or uh, when Nick Briggs read Nuclear Time, I was actually laughing at the jokes in it because oh, it I wasn't quite it. mine anymore. <laughs> no, there is, a, there is a distance, you're right. But, yeah. um, particularly with the, was, was Nuclear Time abridged or not? No, it wasn't. No, no. okay. No, because um, Apollo 23 hadn't been abridged, but I haven't listened to it yet. But, uh, but the, the novels of mine that, that there have been versions of are, are, are cut down. And it's very interesting listening to the Resurrection Casket, which, for example, which somebody else, Jack Rayner, abridged brilliantly. And um, getting to the end and thinking, oh, hang on, what happened to all those bits where this happened, or that complete mm -hmm. plot strand that you caught up in at the time? And Martha in the Mirror, I abridged myself, which was much harder work yeah. than I expected. And it's, it's interesting listening to something that is the essence of what you wrote. Mm -hmm without being its entirety. I found that quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. Just coming back to the uh, the books, we're going to wrap up in a little, in a little bit. Um, who, who, have, who have you had in mind when you've been writing them? Who do you think will appreciate them? Um, this, this current batch of books that is it's just coming out that people have been having you sign at this uh, event. Well, the, these books are for, for Penguin Books, for BBC Children's Books, which is an imprint of Penguin. And they are deliberately aimed at nine to ten-year-olds. Is that about right? Yeah, nine and up. I think they're yeah. probably nine to twelve is the bracket in Waterstones or in yeah. the film. So that's your target yeah. audience. So uh, I think in terms of your, your plots of stories, you, it doesn't stop you. It's about vocabulary mm -hmm. um, and uh, about being pacey, mm -hmm. which is why I mean they're called chapter books in short chapters. So. And you're never far from a chapter break, which when you're 9 or 10 is, is really important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's thinking of an environment as well that, that children will relate to. So mine's set in a fun fair, which is something that children understand. Mm -hmm. uh, you wouldn't want to set it in, um, this is where Ollie tells me, this is where his books are, in, inside a large, you know, Casino? Hadron Collider or something. <laughs> well, yes, well, well, even casinos that they've, seen, yeah. they've seen on the telly, <laughs> some huge scientific institute, yeah. it'd be more difficult for them to relate to. Whereas you know a video game or a farm or a you know the, the wild west, then then those are the sorts of places that you don't have to get lost in the description to get it across because you need to crack on with the story. Mm -hmm. I always write them for myself. Yeah, it's it's that kind of thing where mm -hmm. I, I just go, well, what was I reading at the time? Most for, for this age range, I was probably reading Robin Jarvis, which gets away with a lot more grotesque horror than he's and with nuclear time, that that's for that kind of age range, where you know when I was twelve and I was sneaking in to watch X Files and that kind of. I like that giving the reader that sense of thing that, that that they're sort of watching something slightly too old for them. And I think actually the Matt Smith series kind of really does that. It kind of almost looks like you shouldn't be watching this because it's a grown up thing, mm. but it's not. And actually, it's perfectly safe. But uh, I like kind of putting that edginess in because I know I really enjoyed that when I was a yeah. kid. 
You can go, you can, yes, I think you can go more grown up than you think you can. Yeah. Actually, I mean, yeah, within, within parameters, but yeah, yeah in terms of, of the sophistication of the narrative and the, and the vocabulary that you use as well. Also, you have to realise that, that being 9 and 10 in 2011 is not what it was when we were that age. Yeah. Uh, kids are far more streetwise than they're exposed streetwise. to. Streetwise. Well, <laughs> 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 you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean they, 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 they've exposed to things, they know things that we wouldn't have even thought about when we were that age. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a different world, and so you can be more adult because, sadly, they live in a more adult world. Mm. Yeah, I think Doctor Who has a role to play in the fact that, uh, actually, I think the whole series could probably get away with being a bit more gory and a bit more scary because it's it's safe scary and, and kids do have a bloodlust and, and actually to provide it within a kind of safe environment like Doctor Who prevents them going out and finding it yeah. through less um, controlled means. I mean, I, I, know, I know kids in, in primary school who are coming in and writing about having been watching Saw mm. and that would disturb me. Mm -hmm. uh, it does disturb me very much and you think, well, like, if, they, if they were getting that kind of kick from Doctor Who, it's a much safer place than Oliver was saying. If you're a teacher, does that inform your writing? It certainly helped with, with, with writing these books, because I, I, I was thinking of, of my class very much and being the, the, the audience for it. So, uh, yeah. uh, have they read your stuff? Uh, they do read it, yes. Uh, those that bother to read. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I, I did actually start reading this to them as the class book, which they thought was quite exciting. Great. So, just to, just to finish off, what's next for each of you in uh, in the world of, of writing or whatever it is that you're doing? Good question. Uh, I've got some Doctor Adventure strips that I should be writing. I'm, I'm not at the moment. <laughs> I should be here. Um, so that's what I'll be doing next. Mm -hmm. I'm doing some Big Finish stuff, which I'm not allowed to talk about, and some BBC book stuff, which I'm not allowed to talk about. And in my spare time, I've just written a book, which I need a publisher for, any publishers listening, called Hayley Comet Space Detective. And I'm just about to start writing a book called The Wolfstone Curse. So you can guess what that's about. <laughs> um, now I've got a couple of Doctor Who things that have just been finished off that will be around later. Um, and then I'm joining a video game development studio as of tomorrow to become a writer and producer um, so we'll see how that goes I'm really excited about that I think that's um, after experience on the Doctor Who games that's really an avenue I've really wanted to explore and go down and yeah great opportunity looking forward to it great uh, uh, and I'm writing something for Big Finish but I don't think I can mention that yet probably not probably not <laughs> and um, and uh, waiting for the next commission from those nice people at BBC Children's Books so lots of, lots of exciting stuff and you're all kind of hopeful of more more penguin stuff, I guess. From, from this yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Good. Always. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> Writing. We'll, we'll yeah, write for money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.